What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Chow Codes Podcast. This is episode number 18. Today, I've got somebody who uh, is also another fellow self-taught dev. Right now, he currently works for Adobe, doing front-end as a senior front-end developer, correct? Senior, yeah, recently promoted, actually. Nice. Um, He's got a couple new projects that caught my eye a little bit that I'm interested in since we um, both kind of do the same things in terms of working out. And he's just overall cool dude. Brad Garropy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Of course, of course. So let's dive into like the very beginnings um, of where it all started for you. So like what was, I'm just curious since you're self-taught, how it is that you got your interest in coding at first? Yeah, okay. It's a weird self-taught story because I, I do have a college degree in engineering, but mm. it's electrical engineering. I see. Okay. So like there we had to take like one programming class, maybe two, but, but it was definitely my favorite mm. out of everything we did. Um, wound up getting a job at Dell doing like very, very low level coding on servers, like for firmware stuff. Gotcha. And I spent almost 10 years there and it was like a, a hard, hard learned lesson that 10 years at a company is too long. So I wanted to start building things that I could share with people because when I talked about th- this firmware code that goes on servers that lives in a warehouse somewhere, people's eyes would glaze over. Yeah. So I wanted to build something that I could share with a URL, show my friends and web development was like the right answer. Mm-hmm. So from there, it was like all YouTube videos and blog posts and reading documentation. That's really how I taught myself. It was a nights and weekends kind of thing. No like official uh, boot camp or anything like that. Gotcha. And you were you were doing this all like while working full time as an electrical engineer, correct? Doing all the firmware stuff. Yeah, that's right. Gotcha. Nice. Uh, okay. Well, that's what I did as my job. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And then on the sides, just like. At nights and weekends, you were just coding it up, trying to learn this whole front end thing, which is pretty much same thing as me, except I wasn't doing the electrical engineering side, uh, didn't have the college degree, um, but was definitely teaching myself off on the side, trying to find time and make time to learn how to do front end and build. Like you said, that that's the coolest thing about development and all is like you get to build these things that you get to show people. Um and not really like flex on them really quick, but like you get to show off what you can do, which is kind of like the cool part of front end for sure. Um, let's fast forward through that part where you're teaching yourself, you're still working there. What's the transition look like when you are, you know, you've built enough knowledge, you've built enough projects. Oh, well, let's go into that first, actually. Like what kind of projects were you building while you were learning? Yeah, so like some of the very first things I did was to try to build a web server using Node.js. Nice. Uh, and some people would be like, well, just use Express. But I'm a guy who has to start from the bottom. So I was using like raw Node.js methods to like receive HTTP requests, understand what type of request it was, you know, a get, a post, a put, patch, whatever, and do something on the back end. Uh, and so mm. I, I started working up from there. And then I hit a pivot point where I was I was learning about all this stuff when front end frameworks started getting like really popular. And so I pivoted. Mm-hmm. I was like, server rendering is not where I need to go. So I had to jump into like 
React and Webpack. And that was when like Create React app was in its early days. And so like it was so difficult to jump on that train and into that world of like build configuration, compilation, all that stuff just to get some kind of a website up and running. Yeah. Yeah. So that's crazy that you started there because like I did not touch anything that had to do with like Node or Express. Especially even now, like I'm still slowly messing yeah. around with it, but like you went that route and that's that's awesome. Like to to be bold enough to like go back there first is uh yeah. is pretty wild. But I think it makes you a little bit more comfortable when you're working with like the data and the kind of like knowing the back end stuff of that stuff first. Especially when you go into the server side. Um it just makes you that much more yeah, comfortable. Yeah, like I really I didn't understand I didn't understand like what happened when uh when you go to a website, you know? Mm. I didn't understand like how the HTML got to you, how it was assembled, how data got put into it. And so that's why I, I felt like I had to start from the lowest level. And those projects are actually still on my GitHub. It's like a like node web app or like node express web app. And I would add one piece of technology every time. So the I did one with just plain node and I worked my way all the way up to like node express with like pug templating or something. Nice. And then uh, for those of you who guys want to check out his uh, projects and stuff, I'll have his GitHub linked in the the description as well for both YouTube and uh, on the show notes. So that way you guys can check that out. But that's awesome. Um, now let's go through. So you've built all these projects. You know how to use some of these frameworks and you understand like the front end. What's the transition like from going from, you know, your electrical engineering path and now transitioning into a full-time position as a front end dev? Or like, what was that transition like for you and how did you get that rolling? Yeah. So like, it, it probably took me like two years of learning on the side and then I felt comfortable enough and had enough like projects in GitHub and things online that I felt like I was ready to start applying. And so, uh, you know, I got my resume in order, made sure my GitHub looked nice, had, you know, descriptions and readmes everywhere. And then I tried a bunch of different job searching websites. Uh, I tried LinkedIn, I tried Indeed, uh, GitHub has a job board, CSS tricks has a job board. Um, but I actually found that LinkedIn worked really well for me. It, it was just like you, you turn on that available for hire flag yeah. and you'd yeah. start getting contacted. But like, you know, I had worked for Dell. I wanted to work for like a big company. And a lot of the recruiters who were contacting me were like, we have, you know, contract work for somebody you've never heard of before. And so like <laughs> I had my eyes set on bigger targets and I snagged a couple interviews with um, Facebook. I snagged an interview with Google that I didn't go through with because it was straight up too intimidating. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I interviewed with HomeAway, which is now VRBO. So like I had some good experience along the way. And then plus like a, a bunch of smaller companies as well. Nice. Uh, until finally I saw, I saw Adobe on LinkedIn and I didn't even know they had an office in Austin. So I put my application in there, got brought in for an interview, met, uh, a couple of my future coworkers during the interview process. And I think I just impressed them by being on top of 
the world of front end at that time. You know, they were trying to solve some problems and I was like, well, have you looked into these technologies or these methods? Just because I listened to podcasts, read blog posts, was constantly on Twitter. I was very, very up to date. So I think that was like, hey, he he knows his stuff. He has some good, good projects. And he's like super on top of things. Yeah. And I think that that that's that's super that's an interesting like thing to to see, especially like you coming in as an, a, a potential candidate and like exposing some of the people who are already like working in the space to some of these new techs. It's like you don't see that very often. Like you I feel like we we put the recruiters and like some of the hiring managers up on a pedestal, but being able to be on the same ground and also teaching them is like giving them cool insight, but also changing how potentially for us as self-taught devs, we can change like the interview process. We can kind of like come in with a new perspective because of how driven and how involved we are in development. Yeah. A lot of the times the first one or two people speaking to you are just like, HR people who ask a set of questions that are like pre-screen questions. Um, and a lot of those, like, I mean, like they come from like a manual or something. It's like, does this person know JavaScript <laughs> ask these 10 questions? And that's not really what you need. I really think your, your GitHub and the websites you've published, I think the recruiter should focus on that. And I think you should focus on that um, when you're preparing for applying. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's, I, I mean, you, you're on Twitter, you kind of see what we see and, uh, and what we hear, but it's a lot of the, uh, it's the gatekeeping that kind of goes on with some of those recruiters and some of the job posts and especially on LinkedIn, like some of those de job descriptions and like the requirements are very, very just kind of like out there and wild and sometimes, and it can get very intimidating, but it's also, like you said, it's like, it's like scripted from what the questions that they ask. And it can get very like, okay, like, can we just move on? Can, can you just move on to the next round? Like, I don't even think you understand what you're asking me. And you just get me to a hiring manager. Let me talk to someone who understands what we're like, the actual technicality of what we're trying to accomplish here. Um, so I 100% get that from the very few interviews that I've gone through as well. It's, it's, yeah, it's kind of just crazy to me that that's still a thing. And hopefully in the future, it changes at some point because it's, it's for people that are self-taught, it's very, very hard to like get your foot in the door because of that. There was a really good syntax episode that I listened to last night. Um, it just came out and they were talking about like certifications so that uh, people kind of like self-taught devs can prove that they know what they're doing. And mm. the outcome of that podcast, Scott and Wes were basically saying like, front end moves too fast to create an entire certification like platform around mm -hmm. you know browser apis or you know npm packages because they, it just changes too fast so at the end of the day like there is still kind of this black hole of like how do front end devs prove that they're good well they build stuff really i think that's the only way that's like it's so it's so funny you say that because it's it's a topic of a video that I was going to or I am going to make is you know the the, the title of the video was going to be the one thing you should be doing as a self-taught dev and it's literally just building things because that's how you prove your worth like aside from going to school and going the boot camp route like that 
none of us did or well you did kind of but not really for front end specifically um is i mean the only way to really show your value is actually building practical projects that you can show and like you said that's the coolest thing about front end dev is you can actually build these tangible things that you can show to other people that you can show to hiring managers hey this is what i can do let me like let me bring this in for you onto the team and like develop my skills even further if this is what i can do being self-taught you know that's that's kind of the cool thing and hopefully th that's the thing is like everything is very hopeful you kind of have to bank on the fact that you know the people you're showing this to kind of believe in you and believe in what they're seeing is something that is potential for their team so that's kind of the thing and that's the one thing that most of us if you're listening right now as a self-taught dev you just need to be building more and i fall pray to that too like i need to be building way more um i'm kind of in this trap where there's more content than uh, creating projects but that's i know that's my fault and i should be definitely building a lot more projects and that's what you should be focusing on as well yeah i'm on the opposite side of the spectrum like i struggle i struggle with finding time to make content because i'm too busy making projects because i I firmly believe that like what I want to get out of development lives in the creation of projects. So like I have multiple side projects that are ongoing and some that I've just shipped and forgot about. But at the end of the day, the goal for myself is like try to create a couple side income streams from building something. Mm -hmm. I know there's definitely the possibility of making uh, side income streams from creating content. Um, but I feel like if you can ship something and forget about it and it might trickle in money, like think of like an app, it might trickle in money for years to come. Right. Um, that's something you don't necessarily have to think about. Whereas content, I almost think consistency is king. You have to be on top of it on every platform every day in order to kind of quote unquote, stay relevant. And so I, to me, content at the end of the day, doesn't make me a better developer although it does make me a very helpful developer which is important uh, it's the applications that can make me just as much money as content can while at the same time like keeping my skills really sharp and promoting me to learn something new 100 percent, and that touches on two things that i actually wanted to get into with you one of them you touched on side projects which one of them that caught my eye was your murphy timer but two, the other one, which we can touch on afterwards, is uh, your live streaming of working on side projects. Yeah. And I think that like kind of touches in nice, nicely with, uh, you know, working on side projects and then also helps you with creating content because that's the coolest thing is live streaming is that nice medium and in between of creating content and actually still working on side projects because you get to one, interact with the community live. You're still working on side projects, so you're keeping those skills and knowledge very, very keen and and relevant. And yeah, it's just like that's like the best thing. And from the past live streams I've done, they're so much fun. Like you get to hack away at something that you of an idea you had and you get stuck on the way and everyone gets to watch that. That's awesome to me. I love failing on live stream, especially because. One, it's funny because like you could get stuck on the most basic problem and everyone gets to watch you fail, which is amazing. But two, you get to watch over time. Like you get to watch the VODs of this whole thing come to through fruition. And it's it's crazy. Did you build Murphy on live stream or did you kind of build that offline? 
hundred percent live streamed. No, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So let's yeah. let's go through Murphy. So like, what was the thought process, and what was your like? How did you get started? And where did the idea come from to build Murphy? And for those of you who don't know, Murphy is Brad's uh, timer for a workout that you do. It's it's typically a CrossFit workout called Murph, named after a named after a Navy SEAL who uh, lost his life and. <laughs> for whatever reason, the workout that he wanted to do was uh, a mile run, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 air squats, and then you end on a mile run. So it's not yeah. no, not by any means a workout that you should try to replicate all the way through if you've never done CrossFit or if you aren't working out very actively right now because it could tear you up. But it's a good workout. You typically do it around like Memorial Day or something like that, but it's a good one. Uh, but yeah, let's get into how, like where this like came about and why you wanted to do it. Yeah, a buddy of mine, uh, he's very into fitness and working out as well. And he challenged me. He's like, look, I want to do more challenging things in the gym. And he's like, why don't we do a half a Murph every day for a week? And I was like, okay, fine, let's do it. Oh and my God. Yeah, so we did it, and I found that the hardest thing was just keeping track of the rounds because you don't do a hundred straight pull-ups. You you break it down into rounds of pull-ups, push-ups, and squats. And so, to keep track of the rounds, to keep track of how many you've done, was really hard, um, almost harder than the workout itself. And so I got done, and I was like, you know what? I, I should build something, <laughs> and I wanted an excuse to learn svelte or at least try svelte. So. I, I started up this Svelte project and I used like an entirely new stack. So Svelte for the front end framework, Tailwind for the CSS solution, which I had never used either. Um, serverless functions through Netlify. And I was using a cloud database called FaunaDB to maintain like the, the user's times and, and workouts and stuff. So that was a huge challenge because I chose an entirely new tech stack. And then I was like, well, I'm really into streaming right now. So I'm just going to stream every every time I work on this, I'm going to turn on the camera. And so I was like, every night, 9 or 10 p.m., I'd start and uh, just go at it. And I love streaming because it's it's content with zero preparation. Like, that's my favorite thing. Like, I record all my YouTube videos, one shot, you know, no prep. Yeah. Uh, so streaming was very natural for me. Um, but don't get me wrong. You you have those days where like something just beats you up and you're like, I'm going to go now. I suck. I'll see you guys later. You know, <laughs> like there were definitely nights like that. Dude, listen, like from the from the past couple of times I've streamed, I 100% get that. Like sometimes I go back and watch my VODs because I'll have to pull them if I want to use them for YouTube. And I'm like, yo, um, the day before this one, I was so lively. And this one, I'm just like. I'm barely talking. Like, I am beat up, dude. Like, I could tell that I'm just not feeling it. I, I just wanted to get something done. And, like, the chat wasn't very there either. And they could tell it was, like, a little lackadaisical. I 100% get that. But I think that's the rawness mm -hmm. that comes with live streaming is you get to see the ups and the downs of every developer. Like, that's the one thing I hate. And being on Instagram and having the following there, I feel like everything is sunshines and rainbows there. And everything, everyone thinks that there's mm -hmm. that perfect life that you live. Like everything is like 
the desk is always clean and I'm always learning something new and success and I'm successful at it. And then you go on my live streams or your live streams, or anybody's live streams. And it's just like you catch them when they're down and like they just don't remember some things or you catch them at a high when everything's just flowing and the creative juices are going. But, you know, that's the cool thing about live streaming is you get to see that person for for like like the raw rawness of that person and it's it's very very cool it's very very personable and relatable and that's what i love about including live streams into youtube is because again youtube's that other platform where you can create this perfect life but you get to show the realness of your own life when you're creating projects because coding in general isn't sunshines and rainbows it's very very up and down like you can have some really bad days and when like they're bad they're bad I feel like coding is mostly the op. I mean, full, like mostly you're 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 banging your head against the wall and trying to solve really hard problems. Like <laughs> your wins kind of come really fast and go really fast, and most of the time you're just in the trenches. Um, I I can't think of very many projects that I sit down and I can just whiz my way through. Like I had a problem within the first ten minutes. It seems like. <laughs> and that's that's the thing is the one thing i like to make analogies about everything to make it more like understandable and i i look at coding as firefighting mm-hmm. we're always putting out a fire or we're always solving yeah. a problem like that's the one thing i always look at it because you're right once you get a win f- dope like i won well what's the next one that i gotta put yeah. out like what's the w- one next problem i gotta fix and it's it's instantaneous there's no there is no celebrating the win. There is nothing unless it's like you're shipping it out and you you finish the app and it's all done, right? That's that's maybe one thing you could celebrate for. But when you, you're always in the trenches, like you said, so once you finish one thing, it's on to the next one. So that's the one cool thing is, I feel like for self-taught devs that are coming up right now, and I think I maybe you can relate to this too as well, but I definitely can. When you're looking at all these other self-taught devs on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube. It almost seems like when they're making a project, it seems so perfect and it seems like there's no hiccups. But then like when you're actually coding a project, it never ends up that way. And to create that transparency um, for when we're coding and like showing that, no, that's not the case at all. Like there are so many hiccups throughout the whole process. There are so many times when we have to whip Google out or whip Stack Overflow out, look up problems, no matter how basic or how complicated they are that is part of the process and to be able to make the process transparent is something cool and something that you know as self-taught devs i think we can appreciate very very much yeah you know what i do to handle a lot of that stuff like i have to go to google for everything too but instead i just started making vs code snippets so i'm like dang it i forgot how like the array filter or array reduce syntax is well i have a vs code snippet that's like a R R F for like array filter or something. And it just like does it for me. Right. Oh. Like, so I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it takes the argument and then you do the thing and all that. And so I don't have to think twice. And I also don't have to leave my editor, which is nice. That's interesting. I've never, ever thought about doing that. I've always, so I, I've, I, th- I used to do something similar where I would consistently run into some of these problems and I would always forget and always have to look it up. So the one thing I did was whenever I solved it, I just like copied that 
little block of code that I, I used and just saved it in Notion. So anytime that, so that's the thing is I always have to leave my editor, but like I would go back yeah. in Notion and be like, okay, I had that problem. Let me just pull it from here, copy, paste, boom, all done. And I just got to fill in the blanks, um, which is like similar, but I, I like the route that you did. And I think that's one thing that people need to be okay with is understanding that that's efficient. Like you are speeding up your development process and like it's it's okay to save save snippets of code and use them in the future because if you know you're going to keep using it or if you know that this is going to help you why not use it and i think that's the one thing we have to understand is making it easier on ourselves is okay you don't have to take the hard route to make sure that you like understand these concepts all the time yeah and i actually have two different ways that i like snippetize code i've got my vs code snippet library so I started collecting snippets and then I literally just published it as a VS Code library. So that's awesome. Now I can say I have a VS Code extension. Cool. And it helps me out. Cool. Uh, but the other way I kind of capture code and reuse code is by using GitHub template repos. Mm. It's just a really easy way to like set up a project skeleton and replicate it. Um, so like anytime I learn a new framework, I now have a Svelte template repo i have a react template repo a gatsby template repo a next template repo and so anytime i want to spin up a project it uses my prettier settings my eslint settings my testing workflow my deployment workflow and all i have to do is like you know uh use as template and the next project is ready to go yeah i've always thought about doing that too because you know creating boilerplate template for specific projects when you know you're always coding in Svelte or you're always coding in React. Those are so, so helpful, especially like the ones that take a lot of setup. Um, those are the ones where it's like, because, you know, sometimes when you're using Create Create React app, it, there's just so much stuff you have to delete and like the process takes a little bit long. And if you know you're consistently using some things like React Router or whatever it is, like whatever plugins you want, just put them in and copy it up, you're all good. So that's yep. awesome. And I think that a lot of people should start doing that more, and especially me, because I know I'm always using Create React app and there's a lot of just junk that I got to delete and get set up. And then sometimes I forget some. So yeah, 100% templating is so, so nice to have, especially built in a GitHub. Like, come on now. That's just like the best of both worlds. That's awesome right there. Um. One question I actually really, really yeah. had was, and I was curious and kind of interested was on Murphy. It was built on Svelte, right? I didn't know you could actually use that on mobile apps, like because you have it on Google Play, right? I do, uh, and that was definitely a big learning experience. So very recently, some of the app stores started opening up their doors to PWAs, mm. um, and what a progressive web app is is it's just a JSON file that you include. Uh, and ship with your website. And that essentially tells like mobile phones that they can install it as an icon on the home screen. And essentially all it is is a shortcut to Google Chrome navigating to that website. Like that's that's all PWAs are. Granted, there are these more advanced features like service workers that help you handle offline situations because you're on a mobile phone that can you know be going on or offline. But I basically ignored all that stuff for Svelte. I was just like, as long as it's a PWA, it can be installed through the Google App Store. Uh, and and that was kind of like my goal. I wanted to 
to charge for this somehow. And so I had two options. One, make a payment through the app store or two, like use Stripe inside of the application. And I weighed the pros and the cons and I went with the app store, which is cool because now I also kind of get that badge that says uh, I've shipped something to the app store, which is neat. And, and I can share that with friends as well. Uh, but the whole process was not too bad. There's this website, pwabuilder.com, I think it is. And you just enter the URL of your website. And if it's PWA enabled, you are good to go, essentially. They'll give you like the output bundle that you need. You upload that to the Google Play Store. And that's pretty much it. That was a lot simpler than I thought it was going to be. But having that yeah. like feature is is actually really cool. Like just going to a website, if there's a feature enabled, boom, like send it off. Like that's so dope. Now, yeah. oh, Brad, you're just making me want to like try this now. I want to like build something that was felt and just try to make something and see what I could do. But like, oh my God, that's so dope. Because I, I have a, like an app that's made for the gym as well that I streamed um, live maybe a month or two ago. And it was that barbell weight calculator app. It's like pretty much done. Oh, yeah. It doesn't look the greatest, but it's very, very simple, right? And it kind of works. And I now want to see if I was going to initially, so I made it in React and initially was going to switch over to React Native and then make it again, just to see what, how much knowledge I retained for React from React Native and learning it from a little bit ago. But now I want to look at, okay, if I can make this thing PWA enabled, can I just ship this out from here and make that that process so much yep. more simpler? Because now I'm interested. Like, does that do you know if that works? Oh, yeah. I'm guessing it does work for anything that supports PWA, right? Yeah, so it doesn't matter if it's Svelte to React or Gatsby or Next. If it produces a PWA, which all of them do out of the box now, um, you can throw it into pwabuilder.com, generate your AAB, which is your Android app bundle, and you know create your Google developer account and all that and upload that AAB to the Play Store. Um, and remember, there's a lot of other ways to get like an icon on your phone screen um, if you're, first of all, you can just like save a shortcut to the desktop. Most phones support that. And that doesn't even require a PWA. Mm -hmm. uh, but if your app is a PWA, you can like prompt the user to install it. So if you've ever gone to like Twitter, sometimes you'll get like this, Hey, install our PWA pop-up. That's another way to get the app on the desktop. And then finally, you can install through the app store, which at the end of the day is the exact same thing as like navigating to it on Chrome and pressing that little plus button to install. There's no difference. Other than the fact that a paywall might exist on the app store. Mm. Yeah, so those are, ah, man, you're just getting me hyped up right now. Like now I, yeah, I think after the podcast, I'm definitely going to look into some PWA stuff and like check this out. Because um, my other question now for you was like your experience using Svelte because Svelte is like this new up and coming like framework slash library kind of thing that's going through JavaScript and is looking to be something very, very um, beneficial and like groundbreaking in terms of like the development side of things. So like, what were your thoughts on you know learning svelte and building with it essentially yeah so way easier learning curve than react 
for sure. Svelte feels a lot more like Vue, where it's a it's a markup focused framework. You're focused more on like the HTML and the directives inside of there. Whereas React is like a very JavaScript focused framework where you're using mostly JavaScript to create, you know, the HTML. So there's that. So I thought it was easy to pick up. Um, it's definitely small. It's definitely fast. But I found kind of the ecosystem around it lacking. I struggled with the router. It's not very good. Um, I struggled with state management. It's not as streamlined as Reacts or Views. Um, and then I struggled with like plugins. Like for instance, if I, if I was using Gatsby, right? Like I have the, the image component that auto blurs up all my images. Um, I've got like this Google SEO plugin that's super easy or font loaders, like all these things that are available to you. Whereas Felt is kind of just more difficult in that sense. Or like if you wanted to do code splitting or like lazy loading, um, it's just harder uh, or, or non-existent. And so I just gave up on it, yeah. shipping it. So great for smaller, smaller projects. Um, if you're building something bigger, like I have this dream, I want to rewrite Murphy in Next.js. That seems to be like, that's where I should have went. But I started this as a learning project and then transitioned into, I want to make a couple bucks off of this type of project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I've I've delved into Svelte and like Sapper a little bit, not too extensively. Like I built like a small little like website with Svelte, and seems pretty easy and seemed okay. And it seemed like it was enjoyable to code in for sure. But I can see the bottleneck when it comes to bigger projects for sure, especially since we're a little spoiled with some of the things that we already have, like Gatsby or Next, um, and like all the. Uh, libraries and stuff for react and things like that so i can see where that frustration comes in with felt but with that said i still do think it's something that will come over time with felt and i think that it, it'll come around where the community starts to support more things and we start to get a lot more of the nice nice little things that we get with something like gatsby uh let's say um and now you touched on something that I'm actually interested in as well, and I've wanted to see what your thoughts on are um, with Next.js. I feel like on Twitter, Next.js is just getting pushed like crazy because they did also have like some new releases come out, um, some new features. And I primarily code, if I'm doing a website, it's going to be in Gatsby, right? Like my portfolio is in Gatsby. My Some of my client websites are in Gatsby. What are your, have you messed around with Next? And if you have, like, what are your thoughts on that versus like a, like Gatsby, let's say, if we're going to say make like a blog website or some other project that, you know, for you, Murphy is going to potentially get rebuilt in Next. Yeah, so my bread and butter is Gatsby. I I run two blogs. One is my own, bradgarapy.com. The other is a, a Texas country music website called dailytexascountry.com. <laughs> They're they're mostly blogs, it. like pulling in, yeah, like pulling in static content. So Gatsby is like a really great choice for that. Anything that can be totally pre-rendered and static, I go Gatsby. Um, even Murphy would have been an easy Gatsby app to do. But the the more I think about it, 
the more I look at it, Next.js, and I haven't tried it since version 6, but I've been following all the updates through uh, Next.js 10. I, I even attended Next.js Conf, what, like a week or two ago. Uh, the fact that you can do, on a per-route basis, uh, static-generated or server-side-generated or the <laughs> static-while-revalidate type generation is amazing. And, like, they're kind of stomping Gatsby out in that sense where like if you're a developer and you want total control you need to go to next so like Murphy might have like a landing page it's like marketing material only and it's just essentially static so next could render that statically but then you've got like your user specific pages where like Justin's workouts are here and Brad's workouts are here those should probably be like server generated and that's where Next comes in super handy, where Gatsby would just be everything on the client side, just making Ajax requests after some React app was loaded. So it's possible in both, but I think Next is going to give us the flexibility to do everything we want under one framework. So, you know, if I were to rewrite Murphy, it would be Next.js for sure. Got it. Yeah. Like, and I've been following Next for a little bit. I've maybe made one small thing following the tutorial on their website through the documentation. Um, and the, the, from what I'm hearing and from what you've said and from everyone on Twitter, who's been pounding this thing to the ground next JS, just like you said, seems to be killing Gat, not killing Gatsby, but it's definitely giving it a run for its money because I feel like the one thing that kind of get kept gaps Gatsby, like in the front was the plugins that we get, um, when it came to, you know, SEO or, supporting markdown or things like that like just all the cool little plugins that are either community built or built from the gatsby team were awesome but now with what next.js has got coming for just uh, being able to control most of the code is like very very tempting for me and i'm like looking into it now as well to say hmm i might build my portfolio my or my next one in this because this might seem like the better route if I want to keep my portfolio on Next.js, like I might want to do this and like put my blog there and things like that. I don't know. It's a it's a very tempting like route to go for sure. I I would still pick Gatsby for like a blog or a portfolio just because those plugins that it does offer makes pulling in content sources so easy. Like imagine mm. this: you had a a site that just pulled in a bunch of YouTube videos. You're going to run Gatsby new. You're going to install the Gatsby source YouTube plugin. You're going to enter in like one API key and uh, you already have the data done. With Next.js, it's like, okay, cool. Now I have to make the YouTube route, figure out the YouTube API, which is the part that would be abstracted for you using the Gatsby plugin. And now I have to like call the API, get that data, massage it how I want it to, and then make pages out of it. And so for static content, the Gatsby source plugins are like top tier. You, you know, you're just plucking data from anywhere on the internet. And I think that's like super amazing. But like if you want to make an application, like something that takes user data and does stuff and some pages are static and some pages are dynamic, like that's where Next.js is just, just like swinging for the fences. Gotcha. Okay. Well, we'll, Definitely look more into Next.js. I think it's it's a it's 
it's a good time to be alive when it comes to being a front end dev with all these like features yeah. that are like going back and forth for sure. Um, so one thing that I wanted to ask actually, and that we're going to, we're going to go back a little bit and then we'll start to close is my question for you that I was kind of curious of you being self-taught and you actually being in the field now was, do you feel like there were certain side projects that you had done or something that you did specifically where it kind of turned the tide for you as far as getting a job? Mm. I, you know what? I could probably tell you something more along the lines of what I didn't do that I wish I, I did do to show potential employers. I did so many static sites because I got into Gatsby that I was lacking a little bit in any kind of like uh, backend situation. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't write any database stuff or I don't create APIs at work, but just being a whole lot more familiar with like authenticating from the front end and managing like CRUD operations and just like just your basic CRUD app. I wish I built more of those. Because you'll you'll run across situations where like, how do I sync form state with API state? You know, how do I like there's been modifications to this to this CRUD object in my application and I wanna like send that up to the API. How do I work all that out? And in the end it's not too bad, but like I probably could have used more repetition in that area before uh, I got a corporate job because what what are you gonna what are you gonna be doing at these big companies? They're just giant CRUD applications. Like, you know, you're one of the things I worked on at Adobe was product recommendations. And so like you're filling out this giant form that has all these rules and boundaries of of how and when and where you recommend products. It's just a giant form. It's a giant CRUD application. And I hadn't done a whole lot of that prior to working for Adobe. So get your reps in on your to-do apps, on your, you know. Uh, weightlifting counter apps, like all that basic stuff, you know, <laughs> just do it a bunch of times. Yeah, that's so interesting because, you know, I remember when I was coming up still, it wasn't crud that we were like getting thrown at as far as like the tutorials we were doing. It was making websites. That was it. it was can yeah. you make a website? Can yeah. you style in CSS? Can you make the page you know, function with JavaScript, but none of the times, uh, the only CRUD app that was like really thrown down our throats was like to-do list apps. But then you would get conflicting articles saying, yeah. no, don't build to-do apps. It's so basic. And it just gets so confusing as a self-taught, like coming up with no structure and no really like sense of direction. So if that's like a golden nugget right there, if you're listening, like, and you want to, and you want to make it like CRUD, and I agree. And I need to do more of that. I think I put way too much emphasis on the website thing and like didn't really focus on the CRUD aspect because yes, there are more features and more things that go into CRUD. Like you said, with authentic authentication, syncing state, you know, all these forms, like, can you validate that? Um, things like that. So that's so important and so key. And I feel like, oh my God, I need to do more. Yeah. And that's if, that's if you want to be like a, kind of a very corporate uh, developer. If you want to be a freelancer, hmm. static websites, making them pretty, like like that is 
that's your bread and butter. Just build a bunch of static websites and make them look awesome. Focus on design and, and content. That's going to get you all the big bucks in freelancing. But if you want to go corporate, it's a lot of like data and API interaction and authentication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, 100%. And I honestly feel like if I can speak personally, I actually find like messing with data and API is so much fun. I had, I built one app that was messing with a third-party API for the, uh, the NBA and messing with stats. Like that's a lot of data coming Ooh. in. But it's just so much fun being able to like receive that in successfully, making all those calls and now displaying it in a cool and dynamic way. Very difficult messing around with state and making sure that everything kind of works the way you want it to. But so satisfying and amazing to work with API and data in general. Um, At that point, I wasn't so worried about how well the website looked. I was just more so worried about how and when the data was appearing and, um, you know, interacting with inputs and, you know, when the user clicks this, what do I want to show? So it was a lot of back and forth, a lot of hiccups like we were talking about earlier, but it's one of the more satisfying things for sure, which I miss doing so, so much. Yeah, that's the last piece of the puzzle. I mean, if if you're good at the data side and you can make a pretty functional website, you can now build any product that you want to. And like that that was kind of my goal with Murphy. Like I want to make a real application with user-specific data um, that's authenticated, that has payments. And if I can do this, I can build anything I want to after this. 100%. 100%. And again, that just rolls right back to the cool thing about front-end development is you can literally do that. Once you know the basics, once you get your feet wet, you're in it, you start building these projects that are tangible. You start building projects that you actually love and want to build and show them out to the world. Um, yeah, that's like the one best thing about front-end development that I love. And hopefully the those of you listening enjoy as well. Um, Brad, I know you wanted to do a giveaway that you have something for the listeners as well. Yeah. Okay. So um, the last smashing conf I went to, I took a bunch of notes and I published them online and they really loved it. And so they're going to give me one free ticket to smashing conf San Francisco, which is coming up on November 10th and 11th. Let me double check that. Yep. November Mm. 10th and 11th. 10th is the conference. 11th is the workshop. So they're going to give me one free ticket to the conference that I want to give away. Um, So what I'm going to do is I'm going to write a tweet. I don't know when you're posting this. I don't know when this podcast is going to go live, but I'm going to write a tweet. It'll probably be up tomorrow. Perfect. Yeah. So I'll put up a tweet today that says, if you, if you want to win this ticket, um, just follow me on Twitter. How about that? Uh, and then I'll pick a winner. Let's say like the conference is Tuesday. I can pick a winner maybe like Sunday night or Monday morning, something like that. So if you're listening, uh, this is gonna the tweet's gonna be up by the time you hear this. Go check out uh, my Twitter account at Brad Garapy and follow me for a chance to win that Smashing Comp ticket. Dope. Yeah, that'd be sick. So if you guys are listening, like you said. Uh, I'll make announcements as well on my socials and try to promote that and try to get uh, more people into that to get into the giveaway. But other than that, Brad, any closing statements, anything that you want to leave the listeners with any like 
any other spicy nuggets of gold you got for him just spit them out i think if i have to say one thing uh the thing that kind of brought me the most value in my transition to a web developer and like i feel like i've come really far in the past year i think i owe it all to kind of social media or being chatty or working in public like i just decided I was going to post instead of just read on Twitter. I decided I was going to uh, post on Discord, um, make YouTube videos, live stream, and like just the amount of community interaction that I've had, friends that I've gained, opportunities given because of that is like super invaluable. And it doesn't matter what stage of a developer you are, you know, Justin, I feel like I might have some years on you in that case, but like, it doesn't matter. We're, we're here having a conversation that's benefiting both of us. And I think that's the beauty of it. Um, so the more you put out there, the more you'll get back. That's all I got to stress. That's, that's the one thing too, uh, that I've learned. And hopefully y'all, y'all heard that too, is stop lurking on Twitter and Instagram and start like engaging. Um, but that's the one thing I love to preach to is when I started growing a following on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, whatever it was, it was becoming active in the community because one thing great about this community is that we're also very helpful and we're not like the gaming community where it gets a little toxic, right? It's, we can actually <laughs> reach out to one another and uh, give some advice, give some help. And I mean, like br me and Brad are literally just having a conversation and we haven't had much interaction prior to this, right? Like we would go back and forth once in a while, but now we're having a legit conversation about something that we genuinely love to do. And that's like the beauty of that, like Brad said. So that's awesome. If you guys are out there, don't stay silent in the community. Engage with everybody. Engage with me. Engage with Brad. We're always willing to talk to our community, talk to our followers, and help out in any way we can. So that is an amazing set of advice right there. Brad, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and talking with me. Hopefully we can get some of the listeners here uh, into that giveaway and get into that conference. But um, yeah, thank you all for listening. This was episode 18 of the Child Codes podcast, and I will see y'all on the next one. Peace out. Later.